if you turn to Philemon chapter 2, <laughs> I'm going to see who jumped. Proverbs chapter 1, please. Proverbs chapter 1. I have never taught through the book of Proverbs, ever. You hadn't either? It's huge. <laughs> A little intimidating. <laughs> but hey, let's go for it. Proverbs chapter 1. So we're beginning a brand new study through this marvelous book tonight. And if God permits me to finish the exposition of this book, then judging by the length of it, we'll be here for a long time on Wednesday nights. There's no other book in the Bible like the book of Proverbs. Not one. It, it doesn't tell a story. It's not a narrative like the book of Esther or Job. Esther looked up when I said the book of Esther. I like that. It doesn't enlarge upon any particular, you know, thematic doctrines or anything like that, like the epistles do, like Romans or Galatians or Ephesians. It doesn't record history like the many books of the Old Testament do, like First and Second Kings and Chronicles and all that. It's not a book of prophecies like Isaiah and Jeremiah and the like. Nope, the book of Proverbs is in a category all of its own. And the best way to describe the book of Proverbs is to let it describe itself. So without further delay, let's go ahead and begin in verse 1, which describes this wonderful book, look in your text, as the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. What is a proverb? A proverb is a lot of knowledge in a few words. We'll say it again. A proverb is a lot of knowledge in a few words. Think of proverbs like vitamins. They're small, right? But they're packed with a lot of stuff that's good for you. And since they share that characteristic with vitamins, then we, we, we take them uh, in, into our mind as, as we would vitamins into our bodies. We take them in the same way. Sometimes I like to know what we're having for supper before I come home. It gives me something to look forward to. But out of all the times I've called my sweet wife and said, What's for supper, sweetheart? She has never told me. Now, you Jeremini kids, y'all may have a hard time believing this, but this is true. She's never told me, well, I was thinking about having vitamins for supper tonight. How does that sound? She's never told me that. Could you imagine me coming home or giving me a plate of vitamins for supper? And, and, uh, and, and then when I get through eating those vitamins up, her saying, I've got a treat tonight. We've got Flintstone chewables for dessert. You know? <laughs> now, why would we not do that? Vitamins are good for you. But if we ate that volume, 
it'd make us sick. It'd make us sick. Vitamins are good, but they're heavily concentrated and they're designed to be ingested a little at a time. Take a little bit in and let it slowly release. Next day, a little bit more in. And that's the way the Proverbs are. They're designed to be ingested into our mind the same way, a little at a time. A lot of knowledge in a few words. Like vitamins, they're supposed to be digested slowly over time. As we meditate or digest them in our mind, we digest the knowledge that they contain. And, and, and so as we study the book of Proverbs on Wednesday nights, we're not going to briefly expound a whole lot of verses, okay? We're not going to say, well, here's what this one says, and here's what this one means. Next, here's what this one says, here's what this one means. We're not going to briefly expound several Proverbs in a single service, but we're going to, by God's grace, thoroughly expound a single proverb or two idealistically in each service. Maybe we could go to three or so, but, but idealistically, one or two at a time. Okay, now that we know what a proverb is, we need to know whose proverbs we are reading. And these are the proverbs, the scripture says here, of Solomon. Solomon was the son of the famous King David in Israel. Uh, David, the, the one who fought Goliath, this is his boy. And Solomon, as his father was, now has assumed the throne, and he is the king of Israel himself. And what a privilege it is for us to study the exact words that this king wrote so long ago. Words that were given to him by God because God made him the wisest man who had ever lived outside of Christ. Why should we study the Proverbs? Well, we, we take vitamins to support our bodies. But we read Proverbs, look in verse 2 now, to know wisdom and instruction. That's why we study the Proverbs. And that's why we're studying them here on Wednesday nights. To know wisdom and instruction. So, so one, of the pro, one of the purposes of, of the Proverbs is to impart these two things. To impart to you wisdom and to impart to you instruction. So now we need to know what's wisdom. We think of wisdom, maybe you think of a, some oriental man living up on a mountain in some monastery or some Buddhist temple, and I remember when I was in in college, I was taking a philosophy course. That had to have been the dumbest course I ever took in my life. Dumbest course. And I remember one of the students one day waxed so eloquent as he was talking to Professor Grosvenor, and he says, "You know, Professor." That reminds me of a saying I heard one time. A sword cannot cut itself. I'm like, oh my goodness. A sword cannot cut itself. Man, let's all stop and ponder on that. What good does that do to tell anybody? Or even to think about it. A sword cannot cut itself. But maybe when you think of wisdom, you think some long-bearded-haired guy and 
You know, I don't know, he's on the old Kung Fu show and he's giving grasshoppers some... I mean, that's not wisdom. The, wor- the wisdom we're looking at here, it, it's beneficial both here and in the world to come. It's not just good advice, practical knowledge for you to use here that's no, no good to you after you die. The definition of the Hebrew word translated wisdom here means wisdom. <laughs> Boy, that's helpful, isn't it? But if you look at the root word that the word wisdom came from, the Hebrew root word, if you look at that definition, it's the word wisdom. Again. So you really can't get down to the nuts and bolts of what wisdom means when you have the definition of wisdom for wisdom and the root word wisdom. So if you really want to know what wisdom is, if you really want to dig down deep and sink your teeth into it, you got to see how the Bible uses it. You have to see it in action. And I believe one of the best ways, one of the best places for us to learn what wisdom means, at least as far as man is concerned, because God has wisdom, and the wisdom of God is, is applicable in different ways to him than it is to us. Because by wisdom, God created the world. So we can't do that. You can give us all the wisdom you want to, and we're not going to be able to speak and it stand fast, you know, and let the waters divide and all those things. But at least as far as man's concerned, the wisdom that God imparts to man, the book of Exodus is a wonderful place to learn what wisdom is in the eyes of God, when it's imparted to man. When you look in the book of Exodus, when God was speaking to Moses about building the many wonderful items that go in that tabernacle, that God would eventually fill in that most holy place, and in that tabernacle, God would speak and forgive and lead and fight the wars of Israel. In the tabernacle, there would be things that would would take an incredible amount of skill. Abled men would have to make and women would have to make things out of gold and silver and brass and all kinds of precious metals and wood and cloth and skins, all kinds of things. Not only would people have to be skilled to be able to just work with these different materials, but that it would be very artistic too. Amazing amount of talent. God, of course, would provide the right people for the right jobs. He did provide the right people for the right jobs. But before God told Moses how to build the tabernacle, he had already prepared the people to build it. If you would, keep your place here in the book of Proverbs and turn with me to Exodus chapter 31, please. Exodus chapter 31. And get your pens handy, please. 
Catch you a pen, Jonathan. Good job. Right. He's a smart boy. Someone told me the other day, you know, they they know about teaching children. I said, you go back there and try teaching those children. If you're wrong, they'll correct you. Monte Brother Doug. Better be studied up when you go in there. Look at me now in Exodus chapter 31, in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Underscore now, in wisdom. In wisdom. So where does wisdom come from? The type of wisdom we're studying about today. What did we just learn from that? Where does wisdom come from? The Spirit of God. I have filled this man with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge And in all manner of workmanship. Now what was this given to this man for? Verse 4. To devise cunning works. To work in gold and in silver and in brass. And in cutting of stones. To set them. And in carving of timber. To work in all manner of workmanship. And I behold I have given with him Aholiab the son of Ahasamach. Of the tribe of Dan, and and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom. Wisdom came from God. Can't come from some Buddhist monk. Can't come from some gray-headed fella that you've known for a long time. Again, they they may be able to tell you how to balance a checkbook or how to handle a particular difficult situation or something. But man, their wisdom passes on as the sun sets at the end of the day. After this body goes, it's good for nothing. But God gives wisdom in God alone. And God gave us the Proverbs as the syringe to inject that wisdom into our hearts and minds. Now, if you take your pens here, and in verse 3, the last word of verse 3, underscore, you got a, a kind of a compound word there, underscore the word work, work, workmanship, work. Verse 4, to devise cunning, underscore, works, to work, underscore the word work again. Go down to verse 5. Toward the end of the verse 5, to work in all manner of workmanship. And so at the end of verse 6, he said, I have put wisdom, they're wise-hearted, I've put that wisdom in them. Why? That they may make all that I have commanded thee. That's the purpose for wisdom. Now we know the origin of wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. 
Wisdom is something that is divine that God and God alone by his spirit puts into our hearts and into our minds. But there is an objective to wisdom. Wisdom is not given to us so we can wear these little things around robes, you know, little scholarly things and, and, and have the hats on at graduations. And, ooh, what a wise scholarly man. That's not what wisdom is. That's not wi- what wisdom is about. God puts wisdom into our hearts to work the works that he has put us on earth to do. What can we deduct from this? God puts wisdom in man, and then wisdom puts man to work for God. That's pretty catchy. God puts wisdom in man, and then wisdom puts man to work for God. So wisdom equips. It equips us to accomplish God's will in every aspect of our lives, not just in ministry, Because God has not just called us to work on a tabernacle. God's called us to work on a family, at a job, in in relationships, in society. We are whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. We studied not too long ago. And so God puts wisdom in man so that wisdom can put man to work for God in every aspect of his life. Family, work, ministerial service specifically, whatever it is. You can't do God's work without wisdom. It's not possible. So these Proverbs, the Bible says... We're written so that we could know wisdom, so we could have the skillful mind necessary to do what pleases our Creator. And Solomon said they were written not only to know wisdom, but also instruction. Remember that? To know wisdom and instruction. The Hebrew, it's a very fascinating Hebrew word here, by the way. The Hebrew word translated instruction here. It literally means to chastise someone. Instruction. To chastise someone. Its its root word is fascinating too. It means to punish someone by giving them blows. Like like if you were to have a rod. Whop. 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 That's instruction. Well, how's that instruction? I mean, you go to school. Uh, Brother Garrett, he's a school teacher, and uh, I'm sure he did say, okay, class, y'all ready to start class here? Everyone, lean over your desk, please. That's not what he does. But I bet you can all relate to this. How many times have you as a parent ever taken out your switch or your belt or Brother Doug, brass knuckles, whatever you use, brother? He, he was rough. He's on that side of town. But how many of y'all, when you're about to chastise your child, told him this, I'm fixing to teach you a lesson you won't forget. Right? That's the idea of instruction here. We're talking about chastising blows. Whop, whop, whop. That are delivered for the purpose of instructing that recipient 
in the godly direction he or she should go. Make sense? That's, so when we're looking at instruction here, we're not just being looking at being taught the right way to go by being given information, but by being whipped into line with the information, the wisdom that we're given. The child of God is not exempt from chastisement. In fact, the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he what? He chastens that person. And we have to have chastisement as children of God because we have this fallen flesh. And Christians, because of their fallen flesh, we need correction when we step out of the way God has for us to walk in. And if we don't get that correction, you know what we'll start doing when we start walking out of the way? We'll keep going further and further and further out of the way. And here's the good news. The Proverbs were given to us to provide us with that necessary correction. This is exciting here. Now, how many of y'all, when you were kids and you did something wrong, and you kids, maybe you can remember this quicker than me, because that's a long way back. I hadn't done anything wrong in a long time. But how many of y'all, when you did something wrong, your parents asked you, and I'm telling you, this didn't happen to me very often. I'm not sure it ever did. But you may, maybe you were one of the privileged children, and when you were caught in the wrong you did, your, your parent asked you, what do you think your punishment should be? Anyone ever asked that? What do you think your punishment? You were asked that? You were never asked that? I don't remember getting the choice. Is anyone else asked that besides the Colvins? Did anyone ask their children that? We got some disciplinarians here. Colvins, y'all were both asked that, right? Two different sets of parents, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So, now... Now, <laughs> make sure. <laughs> all right. Yeah, all right. So, when you were asked that, I, I, I know for me, if I was a kid and my parents said, what do you think your punishment should be? Because usually, you're going to have a choice between a, a spanking, at least when I grew up, and, and that was post-Dr. Spock era, you could have maybe grounding, maybe go to your room or stand in the corner or go to bed after supper or something like that. What did y'all usually choose if they said, what do you think your punishment should be? Yeah. That's a smart man right there. What would you do, Miss Sherry? <laughs> All right. but, but did you notice what happened? Both of them, being smart, Figured the least. Uh, to me, if, if my parents would have asked me something like that, I probably would have bowed my head in shame. Acted like it was going to be the most worst thing ever happened to me. And I would have said, Mama, in this case, I think you should send me to my room till I learn my lesson. And not let me come out till I learn my lesson. And act like it was really going to hurt me to do it. That's probably what I would have done. You see, we don't like 
to have self-inflicted misery. We, we, we don't like, we, we have preservation in mind. And, and no child in the right mind is going to say, I, I, think, I think, Mama, in this situation, you need, to, you need to pull that belt out and give me a, a whipping I won't ever forget. Nobody wants that. If a policeman pulls you over and, 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 and says, would you like a citation or a warning this time? No one's going to say, uh, well, I want a ticket. What they're going to say is, if you will give me a warning, I promise I'll slow it down the rest of the way. Right? This is why God gives us Proverbs. The Proverbs are not whips. Remember, chastised by blows. The Proverbs are not whips for our backs. They are whips for our minds. You see? The Proverbs chastise our conscience with loving blows from God to correct our thinking when it's, when it's wrong and, and to bring our thoughts back in line with God's Word. How many of y'all have ever had God smite your heart before in your conscience like, ouch, God, I'm so sorry? That's a chastising blow on the heart. That's a go to your room. That's a, you're grounded here. That's a whatever. That, that, that's the soft, the soft punishment. I remember when, when I used to patrol, I remember if I stopped somebody, and I mean, you could tell it was real easy. You, you, you become an expert at human nature after a while. You really do. You deal with so many people. And I remember if I stopped somebody and I walked up to that car and I could see their hand trembling like this. And they had their license, their insurance, and their hands trembling like this. You think I need to write that person a ticket? Do you think if they're trembling like this and they're scared? I'm talking about a decent, clean-cut looking person. And they're scared. No warrants, no criminal history. And they're just shaking like that just by seeing red lights pull up behind them. All I've got to do is say, boo. <gasps> right? That's seriously. All you've got to do is say, you need to slow it down. Watch your speak. Did you know you can, you can talk to somebody, and if they find you out you're a policeman, they have a tendency, especially if they find you out you're a highway patrolman, they have a tendency to tell you about when they got stopped 20 years ago and what all happened. And you had that happen? Yeah. They, 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 they never forget. You don't forget. Everyone in here could probably, most of you could probably tell how many times you've been stopped in your lifetime because it has an impact on the mind. And if a person has a soft conscience, then an authoritative word rebuking them will chastise that mind. And they'll go back and they'll correct that behavior. And when I saw people like that, most of the time, unless it was just really egregious, I'd write them a warning and it'd do the job. I stopped someone over here. They got a radar detector. They got an attitude. They got a long list on their traffic. What do you think old Richard's going to do? Well, take care of business. Take care of business. They need a whip for the back. 
Going to the room is not going to fix it for them. God knows us. God loves us. God doesn't want every single time he chastises. He doesn't want it to be a whip for the back. He doesn't want to take us to the woodshed. He gives us the Proverbs. So by reading them, the Proverbs can whip the thoughts of our mind back in line and instruct us with loving rebukes. Because if our thinking is right, then our actions will fall into place. If we'll let the Proverbs correct us, we'll be more able to avoid the more severe correction from God in all the heartache that comes with making foolish and ungodly decisions. Solomon said the Proverbs were also given to us. Look here. For us, look back in the text, to perceive the words of understanding. To perceive the words of understanding. The Hebrew word translated perceive here, it literally means to separate or distinguish something in the mind. It, it reminds me of when, when, when Jesus said he'll divide the sheep from the goats or the wheat from the chaff. There, there's this mental division of things. And I, I think the idea that the Proverbs uh, are, are, are giving us here is that we would have the ability... To be able to distinguish between the right way and the wrong way. Between that which is good and right for us to do versus that which is wrong and harmful for us to do. And the word understanding here is based on the same word that the word perceive is. is. It's based on that same word that the word perceive is translated from. So to make it easy to understand, just think of it this way. Understanding is the good and right way. And the Proverbs give us the ability to perceive that good and right thing that we should do or the wrong thing that we should avoid. Make sense? So as we begin to close, why why do we need to be able to perceive the words of understanding? Well, it's because over the course of a lifetime, you are exposed to a lot of advice. Chad was up here uh, Sunday, and he said that a Church of Christ friend of his told him the reason that he wasn't sure of his salvation, he had to get baptized. You know, that's back you know, when he was going through that. That's some bad advice. Not, I mean, baptized is great, but not to be sure of your salvation. Over the course of a lifetime, we're given all kinds of bad information. Sometimes the, 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 the worse somebody's advice is, the more eager they are to share it with you. We're inundated with bad advice, whether it be through television commercials or, or friends or coworkers or family. People love to hear themselves talk, and they want others to think that they know what they're talking about. That's just the prideful human nature that we have. There's some people out there who will tell you you don't need to force your religion on your children. That's some advice you might hear people say. They'll say, well, I, I, let, let them choose for themselves if they want to participate in, in church functions. Don't force them to go. That's bad advice. That'd be the same as saying, well, don't force your children on what to eat. Let them choose what they want to eat. And when they grow up, they can. What do you think the kids are going to eat? What do you think the kids are going to do? They're going to choose wrong. In the book of Proverbs, lets us be able to separate that and know it's bad advice. 
Because Proverbs tells us if we leave children to themselves, they're going to make the wrong decisions. So you better be able to separate the good advice from the bad advice, the godly from the ungodly. And the Proverbs give us the ability to distinguish between the good and the bad and then the confidence that we know we're taking the right path regardless of what this world is telling us. You just let the bad advice go in one ear and out the other when you know the Proverbs. And God willing, we'll take back up right here.